Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them. I'm speaking to Mr. Larry Donovan of 220 Lake Promenade. Mr. Donovan, you were born in Humber oh, Bay? That's correct, in 1906. Where, where was your house then? House that right now where the Queen Elizabeth Highway goes. At? At Queen and Lakeshore Road in the V. Now, uh, were there, do you remember if there was, uh, at the moment, there's no housing there now? That's correct. Um, but there was, was there a lot of housing down right by the waterfront? No. Not to, well, at one time uh, there was four, one, two, four board houses on the mouth of the Humber. One owned by Oars, another owned by Devons, and the, on the opposite side of, on the south side of Lake Shore was Hicks's, and across the river was Toby Jack's. He had a boathouse. And the rest of it was just what called the lawn. That's, uh, there was an old wooden bridge went across the Humber at that time, and an elevation up, and the lawn sat to the right, to the south of Lakeshore Road. And there was, that had been the old Nurses Hotel property years ago. Nurses Hotel? Yeah. That's going back into the, the 80s, 1800s. And then across, at one time, there was four hotels there, Newton's had one at the back of Devon's in the, next to the railroad. And uh, McDowell's had one, and Boland's, and Hicks had a hotel. And the uh, McDowell at one time had a zoo attached to his. A zoo? Yeah, had animals, bears and so forth, little pens. And... Uh, Do you remember that yourself? I remember, vaguely remember that. That's was it was burned down. All the hotels were burned down. They were all except the old, the last one that when Hicks's was burned, they built another smaller one, two-story job, on with the same property, and Hicks carried on with that, and it eventually would turn into what was Orphans Club in the later years. This was Orphans who owned... Uh, Orphan, the Long Branch Restaurant. And it was, uh, I don't know whether it's still there, it was gone now. I think a long time sent it down to the Humber and went through there. You say Orphans Club, was that the one that developed into the Palace Pier? Uh? No, the Palace Pier was just east of that. That used to, was, the land there was bought for the, that was going to be a pier going out into the lake. Uh, 
but it never materialized. They built the one building, which was used as a dance hall and auditorium and so forth. That's all it ever, it went, the company went broke. They sold shares in it, but it uh, went broke, so they eventually, somebody took it over and finished up that it was just that one building which was destroyed by fire too. So it was going to, they were trying to develop it into a sort of a amusement. Like, like the, uh, I think they had the pattern of the Atlantic City Pier going right out in the lake to the big deal over. Well, they get outfit, but it never did get off ground. And all these, all these hotels were on on the lake shore. On the right lake side, all but Newton's. Newton's was on the north side of the Queen Street, or at that time it was Queen Street, it's Queens right now. So the rest of the land there was empty, even then? No, eventually uh, a chap by the name of Dickie White, Richard West, an old gentleman, he owned the property from there right up to Hicks's. And he built a group of little frame houses at, right on the lakefront, and onto the Lakeshore Road he built stores with frame store, all this was frame, frame stores with a housing over the top. But that was all destroyed by fire. Uh, this is all, all at one, one? All one blast. When, oh, when, when was this? Oh, that would be, I would maybe be 12, 14 years old. So that would be around? Be in the early uh, of the late uh, 1918, in that era. What, uh, you know what caused that fire? No, I don't think it was ever ascertained. They're all just frame stuff anyway. There was an old Chatham used to have one of the places that uh, used to do laundry that was, uh, he was a mark for the lads around for to give them tease them get them angry and start things up but he was quite a character but they was all and all the way up uh, then there was a crow's old place mrs crow she was her house sat down in the on the lake level and it was up oh just the top of her house showed above the street uh, there's a big old hill there and a little uh, sitting out place on top of it that she owned. Then all the hicks of the next place and buckles went on from there and then legs, Montgomery's, Winters, and Johnson's, Manifolds, uh, and later years in the late 20s they built those couple of houses further up our two buckle boys Ben and what the other chest mean and uh, the rest was vacant right to the lake shore on the opposite side were brickyards one at the corner park along and where Christie's biscuits is that was the buckle's upper yard and a couple of houses on it that they rented out. And coming down was Maloney's brickyard, 
next to it. And there was a, a group of frame houses, uh, which a lot of uh, Polish people lived in. There was maybe four or five houses. Armstrong's, they had a house just alongside of it, and that, they kept cows, and that's where we first got our milk so from that. Would this be the same Armstrong that became that? No, no, that was no a, relation to the no relation to no. And come down further, we had another brickyard, which was what was lower yard, and, and that was there was two, oh, there's a group of houses there. Two, one Mitchell lived in one that uh, Butwells, another family of Butwells lived in, and. Uh, Couriers lived in another one. And then come down further was uh, where another Hicks house, and he had a boat building plant at the back of it, frame against the railroad track. That was William Hicks. And there was walls lived on top of the hill, back in toward the railroad. And uh, this would be getting up towards where the Queensway that's is coming now. down now. We're coming down toward the Humber River, coming back from Parklawn Road down. And uh, uh, there was two, one small frame cottage and two uh, semi-detached uh, frame houses. Taylor's lived in one, and uh, then up on the uh, elevation again was people named Sutherland. She was a great worker for the uh, Humane Society. She kept little uh, terrier dogs, these hairy rascals, Yorkshire terriers, as they were called. She, and then the same West built another row of houses right on top of that hill, which is for probably 30 feet above the Lakeshore Road. And you had to climb, oh, I guess 50, 60 stairs to get up to things. And there was four houses, I think, and at the back there was another one. And they dropped down another, oh, 20 feet. Those people named Olson's at a small place on that elevation. And the last one was a place called, people called Dixon. They, built a house there, and then the rest was vacant right to the river, so the boathouses. But it's, uh, I can picture it all, but to explain it, it's pretty difficult. And at that time, there's few pictures taken, which is unfortunate. Now, how far uh, up from the lake would the Humber Bay community go? At that time, it spread uh, practically to Chaplin Avenue. The Humber Bay Post is often seen so, uh, to serve that whole area. And everybody called it Humber Bay, even to went to uh, going up to what was used to be Old Collie Street. And all that area was served by the Humber Bay Post Office. So it was all destiny until you got to uh, Sunny Lee. And they took over Sunny Lee. Was, uh, that's the south part of the Queen, uh, the Kingsway. So that would be up to uh, what, Derry Road, Berry Road? Around uh, well, uh, just above Berry Road, then they started to go to uh, Sunny Lee, and they went to Sunny Lee School. 
at one time they all came to the Humber Bay School. Now, would there be any uh, farms in, in the Humber Bay area? They were all market gardens. Well, that was all the main occupant employment was, uh, for these people. Do you remember any of the uh, market gardeners' names? Oh, uh, the Bells, the Burbages, uh, Kents, Todds, uh, Reeves, uh, Whitworths, Browns, Johnsons, and going further up, then you can on the Queen's Way, you have the Roats and the done three or four family Roats. And Tizzards, a number of old families, but I guess a lot of them are still around. What uh, what school did you go to? Humber Bay. The reason I started at Humber Bay was a little guy. Now Got what? in trouble the first few days I was there. What did you do? We were a lot out early, uh, and I used to wait for my two sisters going at the same time. So I was waiting in the hall for the, uh, my sisters, and there was a radiator. I didn't know what a radiator was, there was a little button on it. So I kept turning this little button, and water was flowing out, and <laughs> I couldn't get confused, I couldn't shut off. So I just left a run and I headed for home. So lunchtime I wasn't going back to school. I, the kids told me I was going to get a perfect deal in that. So I tried to beg off school, but my mom said, oh no, back you go. So I went back never heard a word about it. But I was scared to death. <laughs> now how big was Humber Bay School? Four rooms. Four school. The principal at the, when I first started was Brackley. He was an old gentleman. And the next one was Moorhouse. Moorhouse lived in Islington. He used to walk or bicycle down from Islington to the Humber Bay School to teach. In those days, if you know, you walked or you, if you didn't have a bicycle or a horse, but you had no cars the early part. Another trick we had all the farm, uh, the market gardeners would go to market, uh, particularly in the wintertime was a great deal. They'd uh, go down with their load of vegetables and stuff and salad, and they'd uh, haul the manure from these bread companies, Neaton's and Simpson's, all these people that kept a lot of horses. They'd haul it back, and they'd, in the wintertime they had to use sleighs. So we kids would be hooking on the sleighs for a ride. Well, the odor didn't make too much difference. We'd hook our sleighs on the back of the thing if possible. If we didn't object, some of them kick you off, others let you go. Of course, in those days, all Eaton's and all the bread companies delivered by sleigh in the winter and the wagon and the summertime and the old uh, pasture field used to call it eventually was the Humber Bay Golf Club or a Humber something called that now is the sewage plant that was all just open uh, pasture and bush 
that was the play yard for the kids from school. They used to bring their horses out there, put them in, arrest them for a while while they put the fresh ones in and just keep bringing them out. They got lame or tired, they just keep them there for resting. So that was another, you play cowboys with the horses. You said uh, your, the second principal, you remember, was Morehouse? Morehouse. W Walter. Walter Morehouse. Mm -hmm. now, he was the photographer, did a lot of photography of the area. Did I he, he did. Yeah. Did, he have, did he carry a camera with him then? I don't think. Uh, not at that time. I don't think he was into it. Of course, cameras at that day was more remote than they are today. But he was a fine, fine man. And he'd walk us from the Humber School to Islington to play a game of baseball that day. It was so called softball. And we'd have to walk all the way back home again. And we'd think nothing of walking from the Humber group of us, Jimmy Orr, uh, uh, Chick Dixon and gang of us, we walked from Humber to Kepler Avenue in Queen and play a game of baseball with the Mark Gardner's around there. They had a group around the, the Queensway School or above this Queensway School. We'd play baseball, walk all the way back again. Is this an organized? Uh... No, just pick up a game and we would go play and back in all those days of very little organized sport. Do you remember any uh, any leagues at all? Well, we eventually we played uh, baseball in, in, uh, uh, and with little leagues uh, like Steel Company and different things like that. The price would come in quick and that was organized softball. We started to get organized. In those days, there wasn't too many people who wanted to sponsor ball teams or hockey teams. I know we one time we started a hockey team and we had to win in the to a city league. We had to finance it ourselves. We, a lot of us just paid our own way and bought our own equipment. That's all you get. You, nobody gave you too much. Now, did you, uh, <coughs> did you finish off school at uh, Humber Bay? Uh, no, I went from, uh, there was a, I think it was a scarlet fever that, uh, epidemic, and uh, they closed the school, and I thought, well, this is good, but I uh, was a little taken aback. My dad says, no, no, this won't do. Oh, he sent me down to the separate school of Holy Family, uh, close in King, on close, uh, just behind the church there, close in King. And uh, I finished up there. Now, how would you get back and forth? Streetcar. And that came along Queen Street? Uh, uh, at that time, the like, old radio would come out to, well, what for credit. Uh, but uh, there were some that just went to the Long Branch or some. But, uh, in the old days, there was one that just came as far as the Humber, on, particularly on weekends. And they'd bring, oh, hundreds of people out to go canoeing. Canoeing was a big thing in those days. You, you, 
either own a canoe or you'd rent either one of the three boathouses. And uh, that was the real big outing was the canoeing for the young. On, on the Humber River? On the Humber River and mostly on the river. The lake was a little too rough most of the time to, to do it. But there's a lot. <coughs> then up the river there's the old Juanita kind of a little store stand where you could buy popping sandwiches and further up you one's called the wigwam and then the Juanita was well, owned by was right up by pretty close to the old mill so the the um, the first one where would that be first uh, the Juanita uh, uh, it was about the third bend of the river, second or third bend. That I would put it up about. Uh, about uh, just above Berry Road. Now, when, when was that there? Do you, do you remember when it was in operation? Well, that'd be in the twenties. You know when it closed down? Oh, uh, canoeing without. I think uh, the war changed an awful lot of things. The World first war, World War. First World War. Yeah, it changed a lot of things. Where, and I don't think canoeing ever came back after the first World War. Not to the extent, well, cars started to come in then. So that uh, was the big thing that uh, cars, and motorcycles, that was uh, the thing that took over the, and the canoeing seemed to go off. Did you do a lot of canoeing on the on the Humber? I did a little, and in, as a young lad, mostly we'd monkey around with little rowboats or something like that to fish in the marshes and just ordinary play around. What type, well, what type of fish would you be going well, for in the marshes? You could get pike in this season. They were pretty good eating. Remember the biggest? Biggest one caught? Oh, it wouldn't be all that big, maybe four or five pounds. What else would you do on the Humber? Oh, uh, wintertime we had the, all that uh, land, as I spoke about a while ago, where they used as a pasture. That was hills for sleigh ride and toboggan and all three ponds used for skating. And the marsh would freeze over and the river would freeze over so you could skate from the lake right to the old mill yeah, as long as it wasn't too much snow well, the ice was clear well, if it, uh, you'd clean off the pond yourselves if the snow came and make your skating rink play hockey with a tin can at night because you couldn't see a puck but the tin can rattled and you knew where it was it was, uh, oh, there was lots to do. We were never idle. And as I say, we had to make our own. There was no way you could get anything. No rinks in those days. Outside, well, in the city of Toronto, there were, but uh, not to the extent they are now. A lot of people went for pleasure skating. We'd go to the what's called the Old Orchard, which was uh, up around College there, someplace in that area. And they had a band, even away, like you'd go to a picture show, 
Now, we're, you mentioned on this that there were three ponds where the sewage plant is now. Yeah. Um, how were they? How were they fed? Were they spring fed or? I. They must have been some of the leakage from someplace to fill them. If they were one, was a fair size. Oh, maybe two or three hundred feet. Would they be deep enough to go swimming in? Oh no, we wouldn't swim in them. They were. Oh, you done the swimming in the river at the uh, railroad uh, crossing of the bridge or at the, off the lawn. There was uh, in the later years there was uh, oh two or three uh, bathing beaches like Hicks had a bathing beach and had lockers and you rent your bathing suit if you didn't have one and so forth and Hicks had one at the back of his hotel and uh, Mrs. Crow and later was uh, they had uh, Baden Beach. This is what they all had sandy beaches? All had pretty well sand all along there. Sand yeah. existed that's the late changes you get sand right up to Opener Park Lawn then uh, there was a sand beach again where the uh, they made the new uh, boat and they filled in the aisle and they uh, boat la launching there was a good sand beach there then uh, or maybe to Superior Avenue then there'd be stone and the Long Branch here pretty well is all the stone bottom until you get over to Marie Curtis Park then there's a sand beach there but a lot of it was stone but it was a uh, oh there was always a summer you'd swim and hiking and as I say playing in the uh, with the horses and generally just but you amused yourself and, uh, it was good now, uh, would you ever go to uh, the Sunnyside Amusement Park well that was built to on that filled land, that I watched that be filled in from the Humber. Right then, there was only a roadway, the railroad, the roadway, and a boardwalk, and willow trees, which would be maybe 200 feet from the railroad. And the rest of that land was all pumped in from the lake to make the, the, that uh, park there that's there now and the roadway. That was all filled land, and uh, that, uh, for the first part, the, the streetcars only went uh, to about uh, oh, 200 feet or three past the uh, Parkside Drive. The radios, they stopped there, then you walked across the railroad and got the Queen or King car. The later years, they built the, across the railroad, built their bridge after they filled and uh, down below we used to play baseball there from school and the boulevard club and the fence of the palace pier was the, not the palace pier the i guess it was the palace pier where all the big bands used to come in then sunnyside park was built the roller coasters and everything like that that was quite a Quite a place. Thousands of people in the cars. Did you go there often? 
Oh, any evening I could watch Walwich go off to the place, and uh, we'd well, spend a couple of hours. And at that time, the ride was only 10 or 15 cents. How would you raise the money to be able to afford to go? Well, I worked with my dad in the store, and uh, the other night you weren't working, that was your day to go and spend a few dimes. But we didn't need a lot of money today. It seems everybody's got a pocket full of money to do anything. We used to go with a dollar in a pocket. I can recall when I first took my wife out, was recording. We'd go to the show, have dinner downtown, uh, go to the Hippodrome with the Shays Theater or Tivoli, whatever it happened to be, where we wanted to go. Uh, maybe have a snack in for the show and come home with change out of five dollars. So that uh, money Today, if you go out for a meal, if you think you can get along on less than fifty dollars, it's the young folk think it's great. But in our day, boy, five dollars was we were doing pretty good with five. Uh, you said your father owned a, a grocery store. It was grocery confection. It was open in oh, 1915, I think and just at the start of the war. And a lot of the, uh, that time, the rifle ranges was where they trained the soldiers to in the art of shooting and gunning. That was at, uh, where Lakeview is, uh, where now is a bunch of factories. But that was the streetcars, they'd have just load of soldiers uh, these soldiers would jump off and grab something to pop or ice cream or chocolate or bars or anything to something different. One chap would take a chance so while the cars were on the switch there, waiting for the other one to pass. They'd sneak over and grab, then they'd march out from the exhibition grounds where they were in tents. And they'd march out and they'd disband in front of the store for, well, you'd have maybe 200, about 100 to 200 uh, soldiers banging in for get something to eat and pop. And it was quite, quite a job that they were trying to Where was this, where was the store located at that? Right, in the V between the Lake Shore and Queensway. Uh, just right in that little chunk of bee land was my grandfather's, and you know, my father eventually got it. And uh, he built a house on it. My grandfather, uh, grandmother, still lived in the old house. But it was uh, a busy time, and during the war, it was quite a, quite a place. Oh, you watched the soldiers and your young men going to war. That, uh, Chaps that a lot of them never came back and never had really lived. Eighteen-year-olds go and never get back. Others came back. 
but it was quite a, and the Toronto police, they hired a lot of our boys around from around, the Macquarie boys and the Cummings, the big strapping lads and they joined the police force after the war. And we started in a different era altogether. Now, uh, we'll talk a bit more about your father's uh, uh, store. Um, what sort of uh, uh, suppliers did you have? Do you remember who some of the suppliers oh, were? Oh, Christie uh, Biscuits, uh, uh, Parson Brown Groceries, Cowns, Nielsen's, and McLaughlin's Pop. Oh, there's a, a lot of, pretty uh, every firm had a salesman that would come around and try to sell them tobacco, uh, cigar companies, bachelor cigars, they'd have their own salesmen come out. So that uh, then you had the papers, the Star and the Telegram, the Weekly Star and the uh, Sunday World. It handled all the papers. Sunday that. World, was that a Toronto paper? Yeah, weekly paper. There was two weekly papers at that time. With comics in, Hans and Fritz, and they were quite popular. Comics, Buster Brown. So that uh, my paper job, that was pretty well mine. Uh, to get the papers from uh, the streetcars, used to drop them off. You had to bring them up from the streetcar tracks. Of course, a lot of the people that time worked at the steel company. That's the old, used to call the old bolt works in those days, and the sewer pipe, which is on in the Swansea area toward that. But that's all now in apartments and housing. Oh, well, the steel company's still there. But the old sewer pipe land was all, and there was a pond there, it was all filled in and built on. What other chores would you be expected to do in the store? Would you be handling money oh, or? Oh yes, you. You were a clerk. You've done the whole chore. You're on your own at certain times, meal times. You're on your own. Oh, you grew into it from a boy to a young man. So that uh, oh, it was good training. You learned the value of a nickel or. And the nickel that day was was something. I recall as a wee boy, there was a an old lady by the name of Joyce. She used to live over um, in that pasture land, as I call it. There was houses in there. There was two frame cottages and uh, semi-detached house. And this old lady would come over to Newton's hotel. She'd get her little green can like a milk can in those days, or oh, maybe whole quart. She'd get that full of beer for, I don't know how much she'd pay for it. Then she'd have coral and a few groceries. So you help her with her coral can, help her carry her groceries over. She'd reward you with a penny. You thought you were well paid. And uh, one time they made movies there at Humber Bay. Newton's Hotel, they used Queen Street, and they had a movie uh, plant over uh, off to what is James off the Kingsway now, uh, kind of a movie studio there, and they'd make these 
so-called westerns with stagecoach and gunmen and so forth. This would be the silent movies. Yeah. Oh, yes, everything was silent there. But it was, uh, Newton's had a fair-sized frame hotel with a driving shed. That was quite appropriate for them to make it. Do you know who the movie company was? I don't recall the name, but that lasted until, I guess it was after the war, that it was still there. I I think it was burned in or something. Did you meet any of the uh, any of the, s the stars? Oh no, I, I was only a lad at the time, but I guess some of the older folk would meet and talk with them. I guess they wouldn't be any great big stars like we wouldn't be John Wayne or anybody don't think. Now um, you mentioned the boat works. There was uh, there used to be uh, they used to build boats down in Humber Bay? Oh there was built boats and Hicks built. Now what what type of boats would they be building? Canoes. They, at that time they only built canoes. Mostly canoes or was a specialist in canoes he, pretty hard or it was pretty he carried on oh for some years and then uh, this Sasha he built some of the fair miles in the actually the building was built for the Humber Bay Athletic Club on the lake shore uh, oh about halfway between oh the, I guess the place is still there the Three Sisters, Dutch Sisters uh, restaurant is built in front of it. And the old, the old building was right on the lake and that was used as a canoe club. And uh, he built Fairmiles, uh, I think they called it Fairmiles for the, for the last war, in the Second World War. He built the boats for that and from there. But that was the built originally as a canoe club. And Humber Bay had some championship paddlers in those days. They won the fours in the tandem and, and uh, Prindier took the championship there one year at Ottawa with a small group of paddlers. Ardor was the leader of the, of the pack. George Crivier, Joe Tiburon, Reg Freshley, they were really had a four that was putting around Beetleville in that year. And they won the junior and the intermediate and senior championships with the same crew. Now, um, <coughs> that, so it would just be mainly in the boat building, it was just the canoes. Would they, they wouldn't build any uh, small pleasure yachts or? No, not not there. Uh, the only boats that they built were mostly for their own industry or for if you fancy the certain cut in the canoe or want something special put in it, and you build it to your order. Of course, you pay for it according to the style, but they kept their own supply up so that they didn't have to buy it from outsiders. Would uh, you mean that, that they would make uh, custom canoes? Do you oh, remember yeah. any of the uh, the fancier ones? Well, the cruiser came in from the old, which was a 
lower type, what they call a cruiser canoe. Would be bigger as well, or uh, no, about the same size, but it would have a little cabinet in it, maybe at the front for storage, and a little this and that, just a little fancy. But some of them had their canoes decked out with the fancy cushions in the old days of Victor uh, Victorola when records, and they'd sit in the canoe and play records. Boy, they were quite fancy. Some of them, and they spent. That was their hobby, like uh, people now in fancy car, drive around with their radio going, they'd have these victrolas and they'd, a lot of them would sit just uh, below the uh, Humber Bridge on the water with the victrolas going and uh, hoping some girl would be enticed to go for a ride with them in their canoe different way of cruising. Yeah. It was quite a spot. Well, there was always action around the Humber from the old days. They tell of that old years and years ago, I don't recall it, but it happened that they used to have a bicycle track to, on that lawn I spoke about where the Palace Pier is now. And they'd raise bicycles there in the hotel, and they had a rock, uh, ox roast. And they took a whole ox and roasted, but uh, nobody got to eat it. Everybody got drunk, fights, and eventually just dragged the animal, partly cooked or half cooked, wherever it was around the place. I have a clipping of story old George Simpson used to be the constable and county constable he recalled it all because he was a part of the deal let's show it to you before you go and let you read what's readable of it it's an old one but that was quite a was a lot now what year did this take place oh that must have been in the 
built a place for building canoes out on the lawn of the Palace Pier land. And they, uh, uh, boats used to run from there across. Did you ever see any of these boats, personally? No. It was all done in the early hours of the mornings or late at night. I was a, just a standby sleeping at that time. But they, they did it, no doubt about it. And they'd run it in cars. Chap used to have a marmon, and he was pretty well known around Mimico. And he'd use this marmon, which is a pretty fancy, fast car at that time. And he'd run through with the, my car. Oh, it was quite a, quite a spot. Oh, there was some awful stuff sold as liquor that day. Do you remember any uh, particularly really bad whiskey? The worst whiskey I ever got, I got in Barry. And that was swamp whiskey. They used to make it in the old menacing marsh. With marsh with water? Menacing swamp, where it came out of. And they brew it in there, in their still, and oh, it was pretty harsh, <laughs> pretty harsh stuff. Do you remember the, uh, were there any raids made on the, the the runners? Oh yes, they were after them all the time. Do you remember anyone in particular? Uh, no, not the, the nothing that's outstanding at all. Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicokehistorical.com. See you next month.